Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome back to our For the Love of Broadway series. <laughs> this week, we are diving into what it's like to break into the Broadway scene, the difference between on and off Broadway productions, and what it was like to be a part of the world's biggest show, Hamilton, with the one and only Christopher Jackson. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show, you guys. Well, right now we are in a series called For the Love of Broadway. This might be one of my favorite series that we have ever done in four years. It is so electric. So we've we've stepped back into the world of Broadway and we are finally enjoying live theater again, right? Thank you. And it just felt right to have some of the best of the best on this show for you. Broadway has always been important to me. My first experience with Broadway was in college and I saw Phantom of the Opera and I just had never experienced anything like that before. I, all of it, the theater, the 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 drama, the costuming, the, the score, just all coming together in such a unique way. I just, I, I caught the bug immediately, like from the first note and I, it's never left me. And I've seen tons and tons of Broadway shows and I'm a fan. I'm a patron. I'm, I follow it closely. I'm, I'm in awe of the specific unique talent that musical theater brings together. It's, it's so special. And so I don't know if you have ever heard about this one show. It was, you know, smallish. A few people talked about it. It was called Hamilton. No big deal. It only won like eight drama desk awards, 11 Tony awards, the Pulitzer prize for drama. So if you've been around me a while, you know that I came to Hamilton super late in the game. When it came out, I was just in the middle of so much like life and career. I was kind of in a wasteland of like cultural experiences. So I missed the front edge of Hamilton and came to it late and went to New York and saw it in the theater with the second cast. And I mean, I couldn't sleep that night. I could not, sleep. I laid awake till four in the morning. My brain was just like, but how, but like, how, 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 how did I just see that? I now know every word. <laughs> I know every word. I've got the books. I've got the behind the scenes books. I've read it all. I've seen every interview. <laughs> Same as everybody. Hamilton was like a, a, it's like a wonderful infectious disease that just took the whole world by storm. And so today, you guys, we are so lucky to be spending time with the one and the only Christopher Jackson. Of course, you know, he was the original George Washington in Hamilton incredible, doesn't even, there's not words, there's no adjectives. His first Broadway role was also actually with The Lion King. So he started like right with an iconic show. He actually started as an ensemble member and then moved his way into the role of adult Simba, who he was the understudy for too, after several years. And then he's starred in After Midnight and Bronx Bombers and 
Memphis, and on and on. Of course, not only is he well known, obviously, in the theater community, but he's also moved into other mainstream platforms where he's collaborated with Lynn Manuel Miranda on Moana, along with his acting on the CBS drama Bull, which I think he said he was in his fifth year now. And then, of course, to top it all off, in 2018, he received an honorary doctorate of fine arts from Oglethorpe University. So the first time that I ever saw Hamilton in New York, I was the, late. I was so, my brain was buzzing so hard. And I just took to Twitter and I was like, who will help me? Like, who will help me? I need somebody to process this with me. I know that you guys all processed this, you know, four years ago, but I need a right now partner to help me talk about this. And boom, right up on Twitter, Chris Jackson pops up, how can I be of service? And then everybody lost their minds. They're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> You conjured Chris Jackson and we've kind of stayed in touch ever since. And so I'm so happy to tell you that you are not, of course, you're going to love this interview, but he is just delightful as a human person. Like if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, we always have this on audio, wherever you listen to your podcast, but we all, these are always uploaded by video on my YouTube channel, which is so fun to watch because you get to see us both. They're always recorded. You get to see our faces and you get to see my guests like body language and how they're talking. And you're going to want to watch this one on YouTube. He's so engaging. And you'll see me like doing this the whole time. <laughs> okay. Audio listeners. What I just did was put like a moony grin on my face and just nodded. It was so great to talk to him like face to face and voice to voice. He has a lot of wisdom in here and probably gave one of my favorite answers I've ever heard to my very final question, what's saving your life right now? Nothing I've ever heard before. And I'm going to be thinking about it forever, I actually think. And so he really came in vulnerable. He talked about the highs and the lows of being on something as iconic as Hamilton and what it's meant for him and where he's going next. You're going to love him so hard. So I am entirely pleased to share with you my conversation with the absolutely wonderful Christopher Jackson. All right. Well, Chris Jackson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I first like kind of ran you down on Twitter a couple of years ago because I was the last living human person to pull up a chair to the Hamilton table. And so when I saw it, you know, and it wasn't your cast, even we'd already graduated of the second cast. I lost my mind, of course. Anyway, that's how I found you on Twitter. And then now and I've kind of touched down on your like insane credentials, but just in case they are new to you on this very day, would you mind just real quick before we get into it, sort of giving us a, like a little high level, a little bit on who you are, what you do, who are your people, where are you in the world? We can talk about the doodles because they're right there. They're coming in hot on the video. I am Christopher Jackson. I am from a very small town in Southern Illinois, the Southern tip of Illinois. Cairo, Illinois. I came to New York in 93 for college. I went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy, studied musical theater performance, graduated in 95, jumped into a little off-Broadway show called Time in the Wind, which was sort of at a a little theater that's no longer in existence. And I got my first shot at Broadway in 97 with Disney's The Lion King, where I was an ensemble member. And I understudied the adult Simba, uh, lest anyone confuse me with being young. And I moved up into the role in 99. That was my first 
leading role. And eight Broadway shows later, here we are. In the world. Yeah, yeah. What um, in the world? Yeah. Were truly. you, was like little Christopher Jackson, was this always your path? Like, was this a clear shot for you? Did you always know theater? Did you always know musical theater? Were you born this way? No. Oh, okay. No, and yeah, my musical life, I started singing in public at three. My grandparents owned funeral homes. And, you know, kind of in the Black tradition, like, <laughs> all hands on deck. And so when the family didn't have someone in the in their in the church or in the family that they uh, had to, to sing at a funeral, I was it. And so I, you know, church and music and, and in, in essence, theater were always sort of linked. The only theater that I experienced were a couple, you know, a couple times a year, our youth group would do some sort of a cantata or, you know, some sort of a performance. So th- that was as formal as I got. I never did a, I would say like an official theater performance until I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Okay. A, and you just- yeah, that was that was the sort of the beginning of it. A little uh, community theater called Shawnee Community College in our community. I was bitten by the experience. I was, but I, I grew up playing team sports. I was a baseball player. I, all, that's all I really, really cared about. Being on the St. Louis Cardinals was about my only ambition. Till I was, you know, in high school. But I had a speech teacher who basically ran the theater speech and drama club, if you will, and they had competitions. And so at the end of my sophomore year, I was handed a play. She handed me Arthur Miller's The Crucible. And I never read a, a, like a formal play before. You hand that piece to a, an angsty 16-year-old kid and a 15-year-old kid and wow, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my love for theater was really just beginning. I didn't really understand it. Musical theater wasn't really something. It was, it was something where I would get, you know, fake books and songs to sing for, you know, a voice competition or something through school. And then it just sort of grew. And then I didn't know what Broadway was. I didn't know what the Tonys were. I didn't know what any of these things were. Music existed in records. TV acting existed in film and TV. Theater was just not something that was accessible in that area. There just wasn't, there wasn't much to be exposed to, though my mother did her very best. And so as I sort of grabbed a hold of this newfound opportunity you know, the end of high school was drawing near and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't want to do. And I didn't want to go in the funeral home business. I didn't want to go to seminary. I, I, I wasn't being pulled in that particular direction, though I had op- ample opportunities in both to, to pursue. And I got my the same teacher, Miss Steve, Lynn Stevenson. She handed me a flyer for AMDA and said, hey, they're having auditions in Chicago. You should go. She saw the thing that I now, you know, live every day. For you know, you, you talk about people that sort of passed through your life and into your life for a very small amount of time. She was only there three or four years in our school, but it was those. It was what a pivotal moment. Wow, she saw it. She knew. Yeah, she was right. Yeah. She was but the, right. But the idea that you know, for someone to come in and just introduce a completely new totally or possibility that I had never even heard of is pretty miraculous. If, if I if, mean, you know. especially to like the beefy baseball kid who may run a funeral home or maybe a preacher. Like that let's was talk a- about dumpy baseball kid. You know, <laughs> like those dreams, those dreams are strong, right? Like the idea <laughs> of being a professional athlete is pervasive. It will overcome everything. Sure will. Meanwhile, sure. I was the I was the kid who wanted to get up and sing, you know, yeah. in, in school. Because also yeah. no one else did that. 
And, you know, yeah. when you're a teenager, you're looking for ways to not only express yourself, but you're looking for ways to be exceptional. And that was something that while I may not have been exceptional in my <laughs> administering of that thing, it was certainly something worthy of pursuit. And that's what I, that, that was the first sort of hook. And then after I that, that. Is, I is think wrap, she yeah. recognized and knew to sort of hook into also your natural competitive spirit. Because no that doubt. served you well. I mean, no doubt. if competition was your front door, it was a good one. It was inexorably linked. So drama yeah. and the competition. So that was yeah. maybe more of a, a prep for, for, the, for the competitive act of participating in professional acting. Yeah. How'd your family do when you start trotting out this idea of going to school for the nebulous idea of music, like what even is that? Is that a job? Do people ever make a living? What's, what's a music job? What's, I mean, that had to feel, if it was out of left field for you, it might've been, it must've been out of far left field, right? Like for your family members who probably, you know, you've got, got this family ecosystem. It's, this is the family business, church, ministry, like this is where you live. So I'm curious how they responded to these kind of wild dreams of yours? I want to say that it was, it was fast and furious because the, before Ms. Stevenson handed me that flyer, I was going to go to college. We'll figure it out in college. But the idea that this was so direct and it was essentially, you know, conservatory is essentially like a trade school. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways, it's built in that construct. It's very compressed. It's very, uh, a two-year program. Had I gone to a four-year school, I would have wasted a lot of money. I don't know that I would have completed it. And so, also for me, performance was always, a, there was always a deeper vein that ran through anytime I sang. It was clear that, and I, I still don't even to this day understand necessarily the dynamic of it, but there's a, there's a connection that happens, that happened when I opened my mouth. There was an approach, even though I hadn't, it wasn't formalized and it wasn't, it wasn't treated in, in such a way that, I couldn't speak on it in such a way that where it, I like I, I I tap into this spiritual aspect of you know my, myself connecting to a greater or higher higher calling, but that's exactly what was happening. So you know I think the bigger adjustment was really for my mom and the idea that I was going to be in New York alone at seventeen, totally. which is where I, where I was, you know. And whereas what she didn't realize is that for the years prior, my entire adolescent phase. Every year we went on a trip somewhere. We saw a city. Our church took us to Disney and Myrtle Beach and it was a group and we worked really hard every year, but we always got out of town. We always saw a different part of the world. And therefore for me, it was like, well, it's just people. Everybody's just going where they're going. I don't know where I'm gonna go from day to day. And you know, I don't know how to get over to the East side, but I'll figure it out. There's a map, you know? So it's one of those things where it's like, well, You've taught me how to be an upstanding person. You've taught me how to be self-sufficient to a certain degree, as, as good as any 17-year-old could be. You've taught me how to follow a good advice and to keep my eyes open. Why wouldn't this work? Why wouldn't it? You know what I mean? And so once my mom was kind of, she had to, unfortunately, adjust very quickly. Well, so it was going. one visit to New York oh, after yeah. I'd already been accepted. Yeah. I didn't even get the acceptance letter. I didn't have that moment at home. The letter never came to our house. I got a call the day before the deadline was to, to, to file for student housing. And they were like, are you coming? What? I was like, who is this? Oh <laughs> and my so, Yeah. Yeah. And wow. so we had to make that decision in 24 hours. <laughs> 
so thankfully I had a lot of allies. My mom was a teacher in my high school. So I had a lot of allies in, in, you know, Mrs. Stevenson and Julie, oh, sure. who was the, the executive uh-huh. They're uh, secretary like, you let that there. Boy go. You yeah. Let what are you going to do? Yeah. That's exactly what they said. He yeah. can always come home, but yeah. you got to let him go do something. You know, they knew, they knew I, they knew I had to go. I love thinking about young you in New York city, really learning the ropes. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the steps between there and, and the, and your Broadway space? So I know you started an off Broadway and just for people who may be listening, who are not Broadway people, can you also explain what the difference is and kind of what that sort of internal ecosystem looks like inside the Broadway world, the off Broadway, the on Broadway and how like that be that path begin to like show itself in front of your feet. Well, what, okay. So I'll start with this. When I'm doing a show and folks come to the show, I'll inadvertently or inevitably I'll meet young performers and you know, in the autograph line after at the stage door. Well, from time to time, I'll bring some in. It's really important for me to show young actors that when it comes to the actual act of making theater, where you do it is really no different than, than it's not as important as how you do it. And one of the things I always say is this Broadway stage that you just saw a show at, you just saw a show performed on is no different than any stage that you'll ever step on any part of your life. You're getting up in front of people and you're telling a story. So if you can keep it manageable, then you're already miles, you know, down the road. Uh, Off-Broadway theater is 99 seats to 199 seats or anywhere smaller than that, sometimes a little larger. A Broadway theater is basically measured by the number of people that it can hold and the area that it's in. Those those sort of uh, distinctions have been established long ago. Off-Broadway allows for theater to actually happen. It often happens at a much lower budget. It often happens in a way that the union has deemed this theater able to put on a show for a certain amount of time and hire this many actors, whatever. But Off-Broadway is generally like what I would call the proving grounds for a lot of theater. A A lot of the things that have moved the Broadway needle in terms of production, in terms of style, in terms of subject matter, all happen off Broadway. And in theaters that are out in the in the country, it gives you a little bit more latitude. People who go to see an off-Broadway show are going expecting to see something that may be a little less for general consumption, more specific to a particular sort of idea. Whereas Broadway is a commercial venture in every way. It is big scaled. It is millions of dollars. The margins are far thinner. Plenty of shows have closed with a 90% attendance rate. Wow. Yeah. Because a lot of the projections and the margins and the things that, you know, or the theater owners have already contra- contracted another show to come in at a certain point in the calendar, which limits what a, a production can do. We, and in, in both times, in the, the two shows that I've done with Lynn Heights, we put our, our Broadway debut off by a certain number of weeks because there was a show that was already contracted for uh, that time period when we wanted to jump right in too. The, the in theater, that theater, the Rogers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just had to wait. You know, <laughs> you're, you're about to be on Broadway, but you got to wait. So you better go back and do that part time gig, you know. And, and so that's I think that's sort of the, the gist of it, you know, but for performers, anytime that you're actively making theater, you're you're living the dream. You're doing a thing. And the fact that someone gives you a paycheck to do it, whatever that paycheck happens to be, 
That's what the dream looks like. Totally. It's not Hamilton. Hamilton's different. It's a, that's the unicorn. It's not wicked. It's not Lion King. It's let's go to work. Let's do our best. Let's hope these audiences respond and tell their friends and then their friends come. That's that's what even at Broadway, that's ultimately what it's about. There's no guarantee once you sign a year contract. Even there, I mean, you're comparing, you know, it's hard to compare anything to Hamilton. You're right. It's such an outlier, you know, phenomenon. But even there, across the board, from off-Broadway all the way up to the tip top, it's rare air. I mean, the, the amount of young men and women who have Broadway dreams versus the amount that make it there, it's just... It's just so tiny. Like it's a so very small percentage. Absolutely. Say, if you're there, you're living the dream. Like whatever it is, at whatever capacity, at whatever level, you made it into like a very yep. tiny space. No question. And it's really, really special. Lion King was your first Broadway experience. What is your life? Who starts at the Lion King? And like, on my 22nd birthday was the I day mean, that we, we started out of town in Minneapolis and we moved into the theater, the New Amsterdam Theater, on my 22nd birthday in September. <laughs> this is crazy. This I mean, the nuts. Lion King is also, it's tip, tip top, right? I mean, it's, you almost can't compare anything to it either. Did it feel like, were you just, were you dazzled? Were you dazzled? Because this is the, I'm trying to imagine 22-year-old you like dropped in the middle of this like storied, production how did it feel were you overwhelmed were you thrilled both it was absolutely thrilling I developed this this thing that I that I continue to do with every show that I do anytime my name is on a poster before every show I'm going to find my name on that poster I, I need out front in the theater walking by there's something about the doing of theater that focuses the mind in a different kind of way. So by the time you're actually doing it, it's very difficult to sort of step back in the, in the process or in the wings and be like, wow, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Because here, in. well, but also here is eight shows a week. Here is missing birthdays, going to physical therapy, voice lessons, gym, being up while everybody else is asleep. You know, I, I don't, my head doesn't hit the pillow before 2 a.m. when I'm doing a Broadway show. It is working during holidays. It is having only two weeks a year, if you're lucky and have a show that's running. Only having two weeks a year to take any time off, to take a week off. It's relentless and it, there is no off season. Off season is actually unemployment, which sucks. You know what I mean? So right. it's a bizarre sort of existence. And even then at 22, you have all the energy in the world and it totally. doesn't take a lot of strategic planning to navigate your totally. life. It's very simple, right? As I've gotten older and, and had other things to do, it's become a very different prospect. So having children, being married, you kind of have, you know, Broadway sort of is a job. I hate to put it so cruelly, but it almost becomes a mistress because the, the hole that it creates and fills on a daily basis. Creates and fills, right. You have to work very hard for it not to be the thing that consumes you. Hmm. And that's, I think, the, yeah. the greatest lesson that I've learned as I've gotten older is that it can't be your everything. You have to pick your moments of discipline. You have to be very, very disciplined in order to in order to manage and still be an effective parent and a, an effective partner and be your best you know, self and try to time your best self for 805 at night. That's a tricky thing. <laughs> it's something that I'm learning a lot, but but honestly, Hamilton did it, you know, for me. It, it helped you just dial and, it in. Oh yeah, because the show was too hard to to pull off every night. But emotionally, 
I'm still processing the experience. It's five years later. Like I'm still undoing some of the, the knots from that experience. Can you talk about that a little bit? What do you mean by that? So, you know, I, I mentioned it, it, you know, Broadway is sort of relentless. It happens. It's happening every single day. And then life stuff happens. People in the audience don't really care. And it's not their job to. But, you know, the second week of, of, of previews, my father passed away. That was a difficult relationship. It was a, my whole life. It's, it was sort of like a tether and, and, uh, and an anchor and a weight. And, you know, and so life is happening in the midst of, you know, I, we performed for the president on a Sunday and then my father passes away the following Tuesday. Wow. You talking about like the height of, mm. you know, and the honor that experience brings to like a brick being dropped on your head repeatedly. And then, you know, that particular role required a lot of, you know, I did a lot of research in Washington, experienced a lot of loss early in his life. And you talk about dangerous ideas. Like I, I came across that information right as I was experiencing this, this loss. And so every day it was like the height of excitement and everybody in the, literally everybody in the world for two and a half years, all we were talking about was Hamilton or it was, you know, every, the zeitgeist just could not get enough. Totally. And so you're dealing with all of this life stuff in some ways making that a part of your performance, which is also a very, very slippery slope. Totally. Lest and you get while, locked in there. Yeah. Well, or you just associate it in that, in that space and it becomes a thing, you know, because we're, we're regular people off the stage and then we lock back in. I was very fortunate that, you know, Lynn Moran is one of my best friends in the world. He's my brother. Tommy Kale is like the Chris Jackson whisperer. The man and I have a, such a deep relationship and he helped me to keep from being consumed by this thing. But that was certainly easier said than done. And I'm, I'm glad that it happened the way that it happened, but it's taking, it's taking, it took a long time for me to recover. You know, I believe you. It's not a typical or natural human experience to be at the absolute center of that much attention, that much emotional output at such a gauntlet of a pace that doesn't ever end. It, it, there's no end of it. It doesn't have an ebb and flow to it. We've all heard the saying, health is wealth. And I'm sure we can all agree that this is true. Maybe now more than ever. However, the health and wellness sphere can feel overwhelming, like this huge mountain to climb. Like, where do we even begin, right? I've experienced this. I'm, I'm sure you probably have too. We've all felt this in our own ways. But let me ask you, what if there was a way to just start, like right where you are? So for me, that first step was Noom. Noom's the pathway toward better health, one step at a time. Their psychology-based approach creates just a seamless way to care for ourselves and build better lifestyle habits, including food and movement. And it's all focused on celebrating our bodies, not punishing them. When I'm intentionally using Noom, I for sure feel healthier, feel better, more energy, all of it. Noom's really supportive in this whole process too. They customize a program for you based on your personal goals and all you need is 10 minutes a day. That's it. It will fit into your life on your terms. I think that's one of the many reasons why Noom sees such impressive success with 80% of Noom users finishing the program and over 60% sticking with their goals for at least a year. 
So start building better habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash for the love. That's N-O-O-M.com slash for the love to sign up for your trial. You've probably heard me talk about my three C's of style, cozy, comfy, cute. And this very much applies to bras and underwear too. So for me, that's where third love enters the scene because they are without a doubt, the most comfortable bras I've ever owned. And they're not just all day comfy, but they're also pretty. I literally have a whole drawer full of them now, including their classic t-shirt bras, which happen to be their number one best-selling 24-7 bra. Third Love also has a seamless collection called Form, which I just bought. And that includes wireless bras and like form-fitting undies with limitless stretch. Another reason I'm so obsessed with this brand is because Third Love believes every single body is amazing and deserves to be treated that way, which is why their bras come in more than 80 sizes, including half cups. And they use a compilation of millions of real women's measurements to create their products. Their love also has a fitting room quiz. That's like a personal shopper, but better. So it will focus on your size and shape and current fit issues and your personal style to find bras and underwear that are just literally perfect for you. It's actually helped 18 million women find the right size. You'll love their stuff so much. You'll want more. And Third Love has that more category covered too with collections including loungewear and activewear, feel good all day wear that just is perfect. Feeling is believing. So upgrade to everyday pieces that love your body as much as you do. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash for the love. So that's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash for the love. So you're post Hamilton, of course, and able now at this point to look in your rearview mirror and say, okay, here were all the, like, the beautiful parts and here were the parts that weren't. What changes have you made or what sort of rhythms did you establish that you didn't have then or boundaries even really? Like you've got the enviable position to be able to kind of call your own shots. I mean, you, you can pretty much do what you want to do at this point in your career. And so I'm curious what you've learned and, and how you now sort of structure your work life differently, if you do. Well, you know, what's been helpful is to understand that for, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be post You know what I mean? Like, and, and you can't pick and choose what point of reference people have for you. Because remember, we're doing this as, a, as an act for the sake of uh, emotional content and storytelling to help an audience connect something in that story to their own experience. Right. And we thus get, they will. Yep. Right. And well, but we have, you know, as actors, we're trained in accessing our emotional selves through a character. And that's why I say, you know, acting and performing is a gift. It's a generous act, right? It is to help someone facilitate an idea. So whatever idea that, that, you know, audience member A, B, or C has had, that's where you stay. That's right. That's where you live. That's, that's what right. you do. When we see a Will Smith movie, we gotta know, especially early in his career, like Independence Day, that's Will Smith. Yep. And then he takes the next 30 years trying to amend that or express a different idea, right? Theater's a little bit more of an imprint because theater happens once and then it never happens again. 
the Hamilton film came out and that was the four, over the course of three days. And those are at the most three performances that will never, that have not existed since we did it in 2016. So in, in, a, in an essence, you are inexorably linked to that emotional construct that that person, that imprint that has been made. Yeah. I, I wish that I could say I have control over what I choose to do. And in some, some ways I do, and uh, most ways I don't. As a creator, as someone who is writing and looking to create other projects, that is where I can you know, sort of express creative control over an idea that I want to promote. I can paint a picture that I want to paint, right? But the business is still the business. And so it's, a, it's a, sort of a tricky thing between taking the thing that people, that imprint that has been made already and trying to nudge the audience, make something that nudges the audience to believe me in a different light or Absolutely. to see me in a different place. My wife and I were picking out, uh, we just bought our first home last month. We're moving next, next Saturday and we're in a blind store and a guy walks up. He's like, hey, I love you on full. I didn't know you sang. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's just wherever people meet it's you, right? They found it's, you. It's yeah. the, yes, it's the point yeah. that they meet you. And so I, I often say that, like, that's why, especially in this day and age, it isn't about walking around like hyper aware of your notoriety or your celebrity or whatever. It's really about what it is that you're doing that will continue to help people connect with an idea or a thought. Social media has turned our lives in some respects into performance art. Which is why things seem so crazy and why every once in a while you'll see someone who's decided to do a, a one-arm handstand on the top of the Empire State Building. Like right. they're expressing something, mm. but it has an effect on people. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Which is why I, I do, a, I'm very conscientious about what I put out in the world. I try to be very purposeful. I try to not react to everything, but respond to things thoughtfully. And I just try to like move through space with empathy and with as much understanding as I can muster. After my time with Hamilton, as I was sort of processing all the things I spoke about earlier, it was really important to try to establish boundaries because also when you lose your anonymity, it changes you. It changes how you see the world. It changes everything about the experience of living. It changes just going to get gas or going to buy orange juice and, you know, in the morning. It changes everything. That's the part that no one can ever really prepare you for. It's the part that no one really understands unless you've absolutely been there. Like, I, I always say, like, am I proud of being, you know, a, a member of that cast? There's no question. All of the things that you would expect to hear from someone who, who sure. was lucky enough to be in that position. But it's a full meal. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not just, it's not just the lean meat. You, you it know, is. it's, it's you right. have to eat all the bad parts too, you know, and the difficult parts to chew. <laughs> and it doesn't go away. That's what it is. That's what it's going to be. It's a bit of a trade-off to be a part of something so wildly successful and magical. And the trade-off is the entire world knows you. Right? Like it's real. I know. It's yeah, real. I do know. I love that you are also, you know, you're a composer and you're a writer, you're a creator. I'm curious how it feels to you. You know, I'm a creator too. I write but my medium is different. And I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to create something like you do and then watch it all come alive through other people's 
bodies and mouths and expression of it and interpretation of what it is you've written. And then to watch even, you know, the step further, an audience respond to something you thought up out of your brain. That just feels incredibly special to me. What's What's that been like to you? If you had to, I don't know if there's a possible to compare, that might not even be a fair question, but if you were sort of saying, I've got this experience as a performer, and then I've got this experience as a creator, how do they compare? How do you feel in those different spaces? What is that like for you? I, you know, my favorite character from the Bible is David because he was a musician, right? There are certain ways in which We've trained our eye, our ear to hear, see. And then we've trained our hands to do a certain thing. And then there's just that, I don't know what to call it. I mean, there's intuition or gut or, you know, oftentimes emotionally, like the manifestation of of something that I just know there's a truth to it. You know, my skin starts, I get chicken skin, you know, my goosebumps just start going. There's nothing better for me, and I talk to Lynn about this all the time, there's nothing better than writing a song and hearing someone else sing it. I bet. It's the most gratifying thing in the world. I bet it is. The only thing that gets better is like writing a song for a singer that you just know all the sweet spots that you want to hear. And when you hear them, there's not a better feeling. There's nothing that comes close to it. It's so singular. It is worthy of a lifetime pursuit. I quit piano lessons at 11 because I was missing a baseball practice and I was done. Stupid. Wish that one of my, one of my only regrets, you know, in life, but I taught myself how to play and I taught myself how to play guitar and I taught myself how to play the harmonica and whatever other instrument that I could get in my house that I, and, and the time that I had to do it because I had a gig that someone was paying me to write music for. And I couldn't send that music. I couldn't pay this musician or know that guy. Found a way, got a job, got a computer, off we were going. And then once I realized that it's possible, let's go. You know, I, my, my life is theater of the possible. If you give me a little bit of time and you create, and there's a, an opportunity that either I can create or that someone has, has offered me, I'm going to do my best to take advantage of it because I can find a new way of expressing myself. I get an idea from hearing a couple of notes on a piano that may inspire something that I shoot on television next week. The idea of creation is the thing that is so, um, it's just intoxicating. And it says so many things that I can't say with words to my wife, to my friends, to my mom, to my godfather, to my siblings. Like I am in no way an outstanding human being, but I try, I try to be. And so we find the ways in which we can, much like what happened in high school, find a way to just get an idea out that I, for whatever reason, can't express. You know, say Shakespeare wrote, wrote sonnets because he wanted someone to know how he felt about them. You know, and I'm thinking that he probably wasn't as eloquent than when he went away and sat down with his pen and put things to paper, you know? And so that's the, that's the life's pursuit, you know, much in the same way a painter, you know, has a, a, a breakup, Van Gogh painted. He didn't always just cut his ear off. But I'm thinking that he did that because he couldn't find the right vision or the right words or the right, you know, like artists are crazy, but we find, <laughs> but we find ourselves, you know, yeah. pursu- it's the pursuit of the thing, That's right. you know, 
that's why I'm, I'm, I am vehemently against people's perception of thinking that I've made it, you know, mm. that's been a real popular, this is coming into my sure. head a lot lately and I hear sure. it, heard it a lot, but like, you never, as an artist, you never make it. Totally. You never make it. Like that's you're never done. with the creative life. It's it, yes. an end point. Yeah. Yes. That I can pay my bills is a miracle that sure. I could buy a house. I'm 45 years old and I'm been doing TV for five years. And now I'm just being able to like buy a house, but thank God. Right. My kids will have an experience that they, that normally nobody would think was even possible, but I'll never have made it because I'm still making, there's no finish line there. I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to put two thoughts together and then try to make them make sense. You know, I love that so much. So as we kind of start wrapping it up, speaking of I'm making, I'm creating, what are you working on or what do you want to work on? You've now dipped your toe into more than one medium and, and you seem to take to all of it with a lot of like comfortability and natural charisma. Is there a frontier you'd like to tackle that you haven't been in? Or do you have something new brewing in one of your other buckets that you're already filling? So I'm working with Nickelodeon, which is super exciting. We started a, pro- a project called Rhymes Through Times. It was a three song series that we did this in this last year animated series. We're going to be doing more, it looks like, with them, which is exciting. I get to incorporate all of my friends, my singers. I bring them over to my studio and I have them sing backgrounds. My wife does, you know, sings with us, my daughter. So doing that, I'm about to hang a shingle for, um, with my, one of my best friends uh, called Honorific Productions, which is a media production, you know, company to tell black stories. We have 450 years of it and we've just started scratching the surface. So in that there's some film, there's some television, there's some books, hopefully. We want to create a place where our friends can come create things and we can help put it out. I love to hear that. Yeah. Uh, And so doing more in that space, starting season six of Bull uh, on Tuesday. Very excited about that. I mean, that's a completely different pace than Broadway. Easy. Nothing's harder than Broadway. So... Is it, from, is a, nice from a labor like, standpoint? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Nothing is harder. If you can do that, you can do any sort of TV program. And I have the shortest attention span in the world. <laughs> so shooting an episodic, is, 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 it, it, it's pretty hard, actually. It can be anyway. Sitting still, standing still, watching paint dry in a courtroom oh, scene is so nuts. slow. Oh, it's so slow. But I'm going to be getting into directing television as well. Nice. Hopefully, are in, you? In, in, yeah, yeah. So, because it's its own art form, and and it's totally. a new, it's a new thing. So yeah. I want to try a new thing. We're about to move, kind of a big deal. So yeah, you know, first time home over home ownership is going to be crazy. And then and then finally putting a record out, like that's that's going to start happening. That'll God, happen. Give it to us. What do we have to say to you? What do you need to hear? From we the people. There is <laughs> coming. It's coming. I just, it's, it, you know, like with me, it's got to be all of one thing or all of another thing, even if it's for two weeks. A little bit like that. Now, everyone talks about non-negotiables in dating, but I want to talk about non-negotiables when it comes to traveling. And here's mine. I will not wear uncomfortable shoes. I like won't even pretend I'm going to wear them by packing those pretty but painful pairs. I've done it a million times and they never get worn. So I just returned from a week in North Carolina in New York City. And you want to know what was on my feet and in my suitcase? Rothy's. Check my pictures. 
I've been wearing Rothy's slip-on sneakers on travel days for a long time. But what I also love is their new range of styles that includes ballet flats and adorable pointy flats and loafers, all more, more, more. They're so versatile and they go with everything you've packed. Plus, they feel like you're walking on clouds. Now, if you're a Rothy's shoe girl like me, did you know they have bags too? Their overnighter bag is perfect for travel or really any day. You can throw it all in there. Everything you got, everything we tote around all the time. Rothy's also recently launched a shoe line for the men in our lives. And these shoes are handsome because they are designed with an artisanal level of detail. And of course, created sustainably with nearly zero waste, just like all Rothy's products. So you can step up your wardrobe and your travel outfits with washable, sustainable, and stylish shoes and bags from Rothy's. Just head over to rothys.com slash for the love to find your new favorites today. It's R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash for the love. So we're reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown this month over in the Gin Hatmaker Book Club. So, so powerful. Even the subtitle of Daring Greatly packs a punch. How the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead. So naturally, I've been thinking about vulnerability a lot lately. And while it can be transformative, of course, there are many feelings, including fear, associated with being truly known. So no matter what you're processing right now, a very brave part of supporting yourself can be through therapy. I just believe in this so much because it's been such a radically positive thing for me, which is why I love sharing better help with my community. It's professional therapy, but it's all online, which means it's convenient, affordable, accessible. You just open that laptop or hop on the phone and you're there. Their licensed counselors have a super broad range of expertise categories, specializing in everything from depression to anxiety, to trauma, family conflict, you name it. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. You can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours and you'll get timely, thoughtful responses. There is no time like the present to embrace vulnerability and begin working through whatever small or big feelings are happening in your own world. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp dot com slash for the love join more than a million people who have taken charge of their mental health at betterhelp h-e-l-p dot com slash for the love okay we're wrapping it up here chris so we have a whole broadway series on the show and it's incredible we have just you and just the best folks. So we're asking everybody in this series, these kind of like just off the top of your head, wrap up questions. Here's the first one. Obviously live theater is a vulnerable thing. Can you just tell us about a moment in your theater career that is just highly memorable, either because it was so incredible or it was so catastrophic. We'll take either. The catastrophic ones are kind of fun. I put those out of my head. <laughs> really, really quickly. Look at you. I That's do. So I do. I've, I've fallen up st- going up staircases, broken chairs, but we're not going to get uh-huh. into that because we're I have to get put them it. out of my head. That's my insecurity good. is insane. My favorite theater moment didn't happen in a theater. It happened in the East Room of the White House. It's on YouTube. The symmetry of standing in front of Barack Obama with my best friend right under that Stuart portrait of Washington. 
a black man in the White House playing that guy standing in yeah. front of the other guy who's from my home state. I can't um, handle it. I have such yeah, goosebumps. Yeah, like my the arms, legacy. Hairs raised. And theater made that happen. And theater was there when we were there. That was theater. That was moment. Theater describes the emotional experience of witnessing and, exp- and, and performing. That's what theater is to me. And so church was had there. And, and thank God church it's on had. video. Oh, yeah. my. I've probably watched it 20 times. I've Start probably watched it a hundred because there there are moments where I, that I that I swear if I don't continue to watch it it won't have it, it wouldn't have happened it didn't it was happen. just too magic yeah oh that was so, yeah. I still have goosebumps they won't go away <laughs> I'm like oh that was so I'm so happy you talked about that second question can you say who your favorite Broadway icon is and how that person has influenced you it's a tie between Ben Vereen and Brian Stokes Mitchell. I've had the opportunity to work with both since yeah. I, you know, became aware of their their presence. Brian embodies all that I dreamed of when I came to New York, mm-hmm. uh, and he could not. He it's only surpassed by his graciousness and his his nice his uh, his generosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian looked like I did, and as a young mm-hmm. man it, it, coming into a, a theater community only. where there was only two shows that I could have been in, and neither That's one of right. them would have casted me because That's I looked right. the way I did. And then, of course, you know, Mr. Vereen, who in even in all of his experience in his whole lifetime dedicated to this, he speaks to me as if we're on the same level, that we're in the same place anytime we see one another. And that that kind of generosity of spirit is unparalleled. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Those two mean a lot to me. I love that. Hmm. Yeah. Last question. Ask everybody this in every series. Final question. It's from Barbara Brown Taylor. She's a Episcopal priest that I love. Anyway, her question is this, and you can answer this literally in any possible way you want to, big, small, important, not important, earnest, silly, doesn't matter. What's saving your life right now? Kindness. Hmm. I discovered about a month ago that I was not kind to the people that I care about the most because I let myself be overwhelmed by all the things that I have to do, all the things that are important my tired, my fatigue, my stress, Mm -hmm. my anxiety, which is very real. Mm -hmm. I was not being kind. It's amazing how light that load gets once you start making that your focus. Mm. And I'm 45 years old. And for the first time in my life, this last month has been the best lightest time in my, that I can ever remember in that you turn a page Mm -hmm. and you say, okay, what can I do? And when you start asking other people, how can I serve you? Starting at home, what can I do? How can I hear? What would you like? And turning everything else, just putting everything else down. Yeah. You ain't got to pick up the same bags that you sent down. Right. You don't have to pick up or carry around the same burden mm-hmm. that you woke up with or that you went to bed with. And so I feel better. Mm-hmm. I'm clearer of mind. I'm clearer of purpose. I'm hearing God talk to me in ways that I haven't heard as an adult mm. and I'm looking in the mirror less. Yeah. Whoa. What a great answer. And that helps. That helps. And there's a lot more happiness and there's a lot more peace and ain't nothing figured out. Nothing has come together. No, I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But it's the, it's, it's a different a, North star. Yeah. It is a different North star and yeah. everything's better when you feel better. That's right. I, you know what I mean? Everything That's is right. You don't have anxiety when you're busy worrying about other people. That's right. And you've given yourself an active choice. And so, so good. I, I say much in the way that Paul got his, his sight taken away on the road. Yeah. I got, I lost my voice alone in DC 
and stopped talking and started listening. And since then, it's just a month ago. It's still very new, but I, I'm experiencing a very real awakening and I like it. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, on that final <laughs> sermon note, <laughs> yeah. thank you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so thrilled to watch you go. I love your sweet little family. I just can't wait to see what you continue to create and bring to the world. But just kind of being who you are in the world is so special. And so thank you for putting your hand to your work with such like care and love and dedication and doing it with such integrity and honor, kindness. That's a great, I've never had anybody say that answer before and I loved it. So, and thank you for being on the show today. My community loves you. It's too, you can't do anything about it. You can't. It's mutual. (laughs) It's mutual. I promise it is. Bye. Bye Jen. Wasn't he delightful? I mean, everything we would want him to be in more. You'll just be so glad to know that he's just such a good husband and such a great dad and a good friend and just a good human. I'm always so thrilled when people like Chris are wildly successful. I'm so happy, so happy for him, for his family. And I'm, I'll be watching him forever. I mean, it really, honestly, the album, sign us up. You know what I'm saying? Give us the album, Chris Jackson, crying out loud. Chris has one of my favorite voices that I've maybe ever heard. If you are new to him, your next assignment after this podcast is to Google him and listen to him sing. That's, that is, you don't get to do anything before you do that. He's wildly gifted. (laughs) And I don't even say anyways. If you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, we'll have all of this over there for you. We will have the show notes. We'll have links. Oh my gosh. We will link to that video of him singing to the Obamas in the White House that he mentioned as the highlight of his career. I cried through the whole thing the first time I saw it. We'll link to everything, all things Chris Jackson. So um, you can head over there for a one-stop shop, you guys. More to come in the incredible Broadway series. It's so fun to like peek behind the curtain and hear more and learn more and hear about these incredible experiences that it's just, it's such a teeny little space. It's so niche. It's so special. And I'm telling you, we've got some of the absolute best. So you guys come back next week. Thanks for subscribing to the show and for reviewing and rating the show. That is so helpful for us. And thank you for your comments. We read every single thing. We're always looking for your feedback. We always want to hear what you love, who you'd like to hear from, where you're at, how this connected. So thank you for always responding when I post these on socials, because we comb through your responses. Anyway, you guys be back next week for more of the Broadway series. You're going to love it. See you then.